0: Good morning, City Life, City Lifers, friends, family, guests. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming to hear about Jesus, explore our faith with us this morning. Grateful that you're here. Uh, if you're new, connect with us. Hit that I'm new button. Uh, we just we want to be able to reach out and invite you to the things that we do, how we explore our faith and live with one another. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese, and I am the lead pastor here where we just love being a church together, pursuing Jesus and all that we do. I also want to start off today by saying Happy Memorial Day weekend to all of us. Happy Memorial Day, the day where we remembered our fallen soldiers who died to preserve the liberties that we all enjoy. Of which, whichever side, as a Christian, you fall under surface, you enjoy the liberties of this country that um, have been paid for. And so if today, if this weekend is, is one that you celebrate and mourn or remember the loss that you've experienced, we pray that Jesus would comfort you, would bring you comfort, remind you of the love or complicated relationship you might have had with that person. And um, yeah, we just stand beside you and uh, if, reach out if you need uh, any help or support today. But we all... Um, Living in the U.S. is complicated, right? If we don't know that by 2020, well, 2021, then we might never learn that. But uh, uh, yeah, for us to remember and be thankful for the the free society that we live in, most yeah, we we understand it's difficult. Uh, today we are just jumping right on into our service because we have this just this lack of time. There is so much to say. I hope that you have the next two hours free. Uh, even I won't take that much time, but I wish I could. Today we're just unpacking the last like real lesson, real teaching out of this amazing book. But I wanted to start at this prayer. It's called one of its names is called Saint Patrick's Breastplate. And it's this prayer, I believe, I'm not an expert on this, I believe it's been around the church since the 11th century, so it's served the church a long time. And I want to pray over this because I think it has a lot to do with today's message. But just uh, as we go in, put yourself in some posture to receive this, to let this sink in, to let this uh, reach your heart in some way. Close your eyes, reach out your hands, read along with us, it's going to be on the screen, but do whatever you need to do to receive the deeper meaning of this prayer. And so let me, let me read it to us right now. It starts out by saying, Christ be with me. Christ within me. Christ behind me and before me. Christ beside me. Christ to win me. Christ to comfort and restore. Christ beneath me. Christ above me. Christ in hearts of all who know me. Christ in mouth of friend and stranger. Christ in quiet and in roar. Love, blessed trinity of three, bound in unity, who gives my journey, who guides my journey. I will arise with strength of heaven, trusting in your light to guide my journey. Shine before me, lead me home. Power to guide me, might to hold me, wisdom to teach me, watching over me, ear to hear me, hand to guard me, love to conquer every fear. Amen. We start off with this prayer today to, to just re- be reminded and realize a couple of things. First, like every other part of life, that all of this is centered around Christ. Christ, that you would be in me, beside me, above me, before me, behind me, everywhere in my life. Christ, that you would just be a part of every life, every part of my life to realize that God is the one who guides me. Jesus, that you would be my guide, that you are the one who teaches me, that you hold me up when I am too weak to stand or too afraid in the presence of my enemy. Anything that is good in my life, anything that I ever accomplish that is positive is because of Christ giving it to me or Christ empowering me to see it through. And so today we turn to, again, to Paul's last teaching in this amazing book, The Queen of the Epistles, where Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us this one last jewel, the whole armor of God. I've come to appreciate this more than I ever have in the past. I feel like in many ways it's like this perfect little microcosm of all of of Ephesians, not because every single detail is mentioned, but because the heart of this whole entire book is so nicely captured, is so gracefully and elegantly given to us. And even on top of that, like its elegance and its grace is matched by the metaphors of war and fighting. And it just comes together really nicely to teach us what we started last week about standing firm in the Lord. Remember that Paul introduces the armor of God by telling us two things for us to lean on God's might, the strength of his might, and also that we would stand and stand against the schemes of the enemy. And that the whole point of today, the big idea for today, what I hope you hear and leave from today is that the armor of God isn't some formula, it's not a magic riddle, it's not a, this code to unbreak, but it's something that is really intimately lived in. The armor of God isn't about magic. I honestly think to many believers, studying it will disappoint them because it won't turn them into some superhero. It won't you won't turn into Superman or Iron Man or any of these guys. You just like won't become this giant spiritual guru, but it's this invitation to me, what I, what I have been learning, what I feel on my heart this whole week, more than anything else that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to me, it's that the armor of God would teach us how to, power, how to live powerfully honest. That above everything else, all the other benefits that we would get out of this armor, that it was meant to be lived in, to become powerfully honest. Honest with yourself. Honest about how closely you live this life with the Lord. And like honestly, in a way that only you could ever answer. The honest about evaluating your relationship with the Lord. How deeply and passionately you pursue Him. Only you can answer that. How to be honest with the life that you live. All of the things, the job that you're working and then what you do afterwards. All, like this, The totality of your life. What are you living it towards? Be honest with that. See if it's producing good things, if it's in if you're pursuing what the Lord even has for you, or if it's not, you don't have to quit your job to pursue what Christ is doing, uh, what Christ is doing in your life, but are you living your life for him? And then also that we would just honestly be able to see that we stand also in the presence of our enemy often. and for us to stand firm, this enemy who hates who you are, who hates everything about Christ, who is the antithesis of everything that Jesus was, Last week, I showed this picture, and so those of you who are with us on our online service, you, this is your second dipping. But for those of us who are in beta, I talked about this picture, but I want it to, become, to show up on the screen. I want us to see, I, I saw this picture in a museum, and it just so struck me. It just show, so showed me how I think the enemy teaches us how to live life. If you look in the background, you see that you see death, right? You see ominous, you see dark, you see shade. You don't There's no light. There's no hope. There's nothing calling you. And you look in the foreground and you see this big figure looming over you. This figure wraps us up in thorns. Gives us a shovel to dig our own grave. Points us to the ground. Holds us down. Forces his will over us. And I think that this is how the enemy would love for every human life to be lived. And yet because God is teaching his people his new society how to live for him how to wage war on his terms how to use the tools the equipment that he gives us he gives us the armor of God to bring stability into our lifestyle and integrity into our co- and our character again stability into our lifestyle and integrity into our character for us to be able to resist and stand stand up to our enemy and his servants for us to be able to experience a measure of Christ's victory now the victory that was sealed on the cross when he resurrected from the dead that we will still suffer we are promised to suffer but we can experience God's victory now that even if my body is wasting away my soul and my spirit rejoice and scream glory to God in every circumstance And for us also to bring others out of captivity, because as we talked about much earlier in Ephesians, those who aren't in Christ are in this living dead state. And so I pray, let's pray before we keep on going. But as we look into the armor of God, that God would come, His Spirit would be with us to be able to take this in and grasp and wrestle with it and have this armor that was meant for us to live in every day of our lives, every part of our lives. And so let me pray for us, church lord i thank you for this day i thank you for your presence with us i thank you that you are a personal god a personable god that you want to be with us you seek relationship even in this armor that you give us it's about living it with you being empowered by you praying to you and so lord i pray that your spirit would be with us guiding us through this passage me in the preaching of it us in the hearing of it lord that we can produce something that is to be lived out, lived in powerfully to change the way that we go through life's difficulties and the way that we approach our enemy. And so Lord, be with us. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So today, again, our last real chunk of teaching out of the book of Ephesians, we're, still, we're, we're not totally done with Ephesians quite yet. But our last real teaching that Paul gives us to summarize this whole book, this little microcosm of all that he's written, we're going to shorten it for the sake of time. So let's just jump right on in. We're going to be reading out of Ephesians 6, 13 to 18. God's word says this. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Amen. The word of the Lord. One of the pastors that I talk about quite frequently in the last couple of months is Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the most famous preachers of the last century. He wrote two books on God's armor. The first one he called The Christian Warfare, and the second one was The Christian Soldier. And out of these 11 verses, this man wrote 736 pages, wrestling, exploring, digesting this, this section of scripture. And, but not to be outdone, that there was this man in 1655, he wrote, uh, his name was William Grunall. he wrote The Christian in Complete Armor. It has two volumes 261 chapters, 1,472 pages, all out of these 11 verses, because these 11 verses, I would assume from the moment they were penned out of Paul's mouth, have captured the imagination of, of a Christian life. It captured the imagination of, oh, like, what does this mean? How does this do? This dude wrote 1,400 pages on 11 verses. Man, I couldn't. Write 1,400 pages of my entire life. This is, this is cr- kind of crazy. So let's just start. Let's just jump right on in. Let's talk about our first point for today God's armor. Let's start with reading just verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. There's a couple of emphasis here, emphasis, whatever the plural of emphasis is. The first one is to take the whole armor. Take all of it. Don't find yourself missing any one of these pieces. Don't be like, okay, well, I have the belt, but I don't really need the helmet. Okay, I have the breastplate, but I don't really need a shield. I'm, I'm more offensive. Like, no, no, no. Paul here in his instructions is take the whole armor of God. Make sure that you're not missing any part of it. Because the purpose of it here is so that we will be able to withstand in the evil day whether this is like one, uh, commentators go back and forth, whether this is like the end times when the anti-crisis here. And evil is raining wild, like, or if it's just every day, day to day in your life, in the seasons that are difficult, or in the seasons that are like, really, you just feel attacked at all moments. Take on the whole armor of God. You have to be this well-rounded Christian to make sure you're practicing all of these parts that we're going to be talking about in a few minutes. And he's also talking about this idea of, um, in the evil days, that it really, you know, it's really nice that you can put on this armor when life is going your way, right? It's really easy. It's fundamentally really easy for me to pray this prayer, for me to sit down every morning when life is good and when life is doing, going really well for me, when all of my goals are being achieved and say, Lord, I just, oh, I love your, your belt of truth. I'm going to put on your, breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to put this all on, but here he's saying, you know what, it really matters when it's really most valuable is when life is hard. Put on the whole armor when life gets really tough. Do it it when life is good, right? Never forget Jesus. Don't step away. Don't for a second think that life is going good because of you. But when it's really hard is when it's most important. At the precise moment you don't want to put on the armor, when you don't want truth in your life, when you don't want the gospel of peace on your feet, when you don't want the shield of the Spirit, which is the Word, like okay, then that's the moment you need it the most. I'm getting ready for our next sermon series. No uh, spoiler alert here, but in it, Christ says, "You know, even the even sinners, even tax collectors, love those who love them." The worst people can love the people who love them. But what do you do when life gets really tough? How do you respond when the second you're supposed to be meek, you want to scream at someone? How do you do when you have to bless your enemy, your mortal enemy? What happens at that moment? Examine that because that's so important. And so here we're saying that is the value in God's armor is when, if we are wearing it when we really need it, when life is really hard. But even more than putting on the whole armor, the greater emphasis on this is that it's God-given. Just like our sermon series on the spiritual gifts last year, all of this comes from the Lord. This is only valuable because God gave it to us. It is only valuable as a metaphor, as a training ground, as things to guide your prayer. This is only valuable when you, because it's given to us by God. I could have think I could have thought of, up of any pleasant metaphor and if God wasn't in it then it would do nothing to really help us and so the the importance here that it's God-given this take on this whole armor to give me The pieces to fight this war, to stand up to the enemy the way that he tells me to, so that I'm also not fighting my enemies like we talked fighting other people, so that I'm not mistaken in thinking that Jared down the street is my enemy instead of Satan working at odds against us. Like, no, Allah. fight the right way and fight the right enemy. And so all of these six pieces together come together to have something that is to be lived in. Remember, that's the big idea for us today is that the armor of God is entirely meant to be lived in. All six pieces incorporated into our daily lives. And so let's look at the armor now. Let's dive right on in because this is going to take a while. Let's see all of the pieces and what God is maybe telling us and teaching us about each one. The whole armor. Let's read verses 14 to 17. God's word says, Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take on the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Today, I encourage all of us to uh, take notes, take notes on these because um, we won't be able to give each one as much time as we want. And it's important to remember each one of these. If you're not going to take notes now, then go back to our YouTube channel where this is going to be posted later and look at each one of these, pray through each one of these because some of these come really naturally to you. You have been wired to know this really well and practice it. And other ones may be really foreign or are the ones that you need to work on more than any of ones. So take notes. Allow the Holy Spirit to work out, to use this as a, as a scripture of teaching, of showing you how you need to stand up stronger. And also remember the scene. Remember that Paul was writing this as a prisoner of Rome. And a prisoner of Rome at almost all times of the day was chained to a Roman soldier. If they were on the move, if they were walking, if the prison wasn't very reliable, then they were chained to a a Roman soldier. And so Paul here is writing this letter about freedom in Christ, about this powerful living, remember, new life, new society, new measures and new relationships all of this while being chained to a roman soldier and he's looking at this soldier and he's like wow i see attributes of christ all over this man i'm gonna i'm gonna talk about how christ reminds me of this roman soldier get up here and he starts to talk about the first one he does he takes this a piece of equipment and gives it an attribute of christ reminding christians all over the world, most directly to Christians in Ephesus, but to us, Christians of all time, of attributes of Jesus and how powerful he was with them. And the first one that we were given is for us to fasten the belt of truth. In the Roman soldier, they would put on this belt. And like any belt, this belt was supposed to bring up this like hidden strength or this confidence or this courage out of the soldier. It holds the belt. Just think about the belt. It holds your core together. It keeps you upright. It keeps you strong and stable. And it pull. it's like kind of like pulling out this strength in you that you might not even know that you have. It's this support that causes you to feel powerful. Think of a, a weightlifter's belt. You know, like these giant mammoth of men and ladies who strap this tight, thick, a belt around their waist, and they're able to lift much more weight. Think about that, that that was around the Roman soldiers' waist, giving him power and confidence and courage to go forth. And then on top of that, you put truth, the belt of truth. And here, Paul has every intention to talk to us about two things, both the sincerity of how, uh, uh, the sincerity of our speech, and the integrity of how we conduct ourselves and our character. The first one, true. Truth should always just come, jump right out of us of how we are talking if we're known as honest people. If we are known to be truth tellers and when it's easy to do that and when it's really hard to do that. People of integrity with how we use our speech, but also integrity in, in our character and in our conduct and how we live this life both of these, that we don't have secrets, that we don't have deception, that we don't have hidden things living in our lives. I remember the only, when I was being interviewed for the staff position that I started at City Life with, the only question that I still remember the oversight team asking me, they asked me a good amount of questions, but the only one I I still remember, because it like shocked me that somebody would actually ask me this, they asked me, like, Pedro, do you have anything hidden in your life? Do you keep a lot of secrets? And let the let the belt of truth jump out at you and me saying, okay, like, is there parts of my life that are hidden? Do I? Do I have anything hidden? Do you have anything hidden? Are there parts of your life that no one knows, whether you're married or single? Are there parts of your life or your heart that you just keep in the dark because you don't want it exposed or because you don't want to lose it. The reason why these are so important is because only three people will ever know the answer to these questions. The first one is you. Only you really know when you're full of it. Only you will really know if this is a show. If even coming to church is a show or just because you want friends, or you just want something to do, or if you have so many things in the way that you're hiding, only you will really know that. Only God will really know that. And he'll know it better than you do, because God knows every part of your heart, often much clearer than we do. And also, Satan often will know, because he or one of his minions see what you do in in private time, Satan and his, and his demons cannot know your mind like God does. They, are, they do not know your thoughts. They can't read your thoughts, they, but they can see and examine. They've gotten pretty good at seeing how human beings are and, and what they do in their private time. So it becomes incredibly important for the Christian to live out with the belt of truth because then there's no place to hide. There's no place to say, God, I'm fooling you on this one. The second piece of equipment is the breastplate of righteousness. And this piece of equipment is exactly what you think, exactly what you see in the movies. It's the breastplate that went over your chest and protected your back. The idea of this was to protect all of your vital organs, right? The pieces of you that you can't do without except for the spleen, which uh, Dr. Greg and Dr. Brianna, number one, congratulations. And please tell me if I'm wrong. If you're, if you're watching this right now or later on, tell me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure you can do without your spleen. Congratulations, you guys are really incredible and inspiring. Uh, but it protects, this breastplate protects all parts of you that are, are vitally important, right? Vital organs. And, and on top of that, Paul attaches to this breastplate righteousness. Whereas Paul, and almost all the time that he writes in his epistles, when he talks about righteousness, he is talking about justification. And I believe that to be the case here. Justification is this bigger word of really just spelling out that there is nothing, that there is no sin in the way of your relationship with the Lord. That before Christ, all all of our sins stood in the way because this is this holy God and we are wholly corrupt, right? And so we we can't even get to one another because there's this dividing wall. But through justification, God sent his son to take our place to wipe the slate clean. Uh, John Stott, my best friend, writes this. He says that it's God's gracious initiative in putting sinners right with himself through Christ that all of your sins are absolved another fancier word that, that are all wiped clean they're all forgotten they're all paid for not that Christ, not that God is this holy God could ever say you know I'm okay with this sin. no he has forgiven it by Jesus all of your past sins the present sins and your future sins if you are truly in Christ living for him you will never be perfect on this side of heaven but if you are in Christ and pursuing Him, having a relationship with Him, then He looks at you, and He sees you completely wiped clean. And so I pray that this redefines this breastplate of righteousness, redefines how we read Romans 8, verses 1 and then 34 to th- 33 to 34, when Paul to the Romans writes this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who who indeed is interceding for us. That we can put on this breastplate of righteousness so that we can never again be God's enemy that we can be his sons and his daughters, that we can have this relationship with him, that we can have right standing with him when we have this enemy who wants us to only know shame and guilt, who hits us with a stick and then gives us that stick and teaches us how to hit it of ourselves. And so, No amount of whispering from Satan or one of his demons, no amount of your heart being broken and not being able to receive grace can ever change the fact that we are truly justified, that we have been given Christ's righteousness to never again be Christ, God's enemy, but so that we can be his heirs, so that we can be his sons and his daughters that no one can ever again take away this this breastplate of righteousness that makes us have firm footing with the Lord. No amount of devils, no amount of our sin, if we are in Christ, can take that away. The next piece that we have is honestly, like, has grown on me a lot. It might be one of my favorites here, but it is the boots of peace. But here we're given these boots of peace. That for the roman soldier had two main purposes the way that it was designed for the roman soldier had two purposes in mind the first was to allow a roman soldier to be able to march great distances you know i can start off my here my day here and be all the way over there because these shoes they give me stability and strength to keep on going much further than i could do with another type of shoe it was designed for that and the second purpose was also for me in to cover long distances is to give me stability, firm standing when I'm fighting, when I'm in this stance, when I'm going at it, when I'm literally at life and death with somebody else, that these shoes will give me stability and be able to help me be really mobile. Super important in war. I don't know that for myself, but I feel like that is pretty understandable. And the on top of that, Paul puts that on, These boots of peace. These boots of the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Number one, that these boots would have the peace of the gospel to really just put peace into your soul and your spirit through and through to cover up all of your fears that you're not okay, that God doesn't really love you, that there's another gospel that is better than Christ. Like, no, no, no. That these boots of peace will give you a peace that surpasses all understanding. That these boots of peace also allow you to be mobile with this fight, to bring peace to other. for you to... That you, we should never like, oh, I can tell everyone about Christ and what He's done for me. And the and the other part that I had never even thought about is that it gives us this readiness. And scholars aren't like, they are not really in unison on what this means. Some people say a couple of things, but really most commentators agree that it's either one of these two things, and personally, I think it's both. I think that both are super legitimate. The first one is that it's the steadfastness in your faith. this this readiness in your faith to stay in this faith, to not leave Christ or his church, but that these boots of peace allow you to stand your ground and be ready to, to defend your faith, to defend the church. And then, secondly, is that this red is this readiness to proclaim the gospel at the drop of a hat? That this peace is just so consumes you that at any point, if anyone even cracks the door open to a real conversation with you, you bust through it and say, "You know what? Let me tell you about Christ, the one who set me free." That the, these boots just so wash over you, so change the way that you are that you're like, "Okay, I'm going to take every opportunity to tell everyone about the gospel." That I have been taught. And I hope that this just changes the kind of readiness that we have when we read passages like Romans 10, 14 to 15 that say this. And how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And who are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That we would so love these, so be consumed by these boots of peace that come from the gospel that produce this readiness in us to say yes to whenever anyone invites us to have this talk with them. Our next piece of equipment is the shield of faith. The shield of faith is exactly what you're thinking of, but the idea of this, the Roman shield that is talked about here, is a giant, it's a pretty big shield. It's not some little thing that you've seen in movies, but no, it is almost two meters tall and almost one meter across. It's this big shield that covers up your almost your entire body. A trained soldier could cover, easily cover up his entire body behind this shield. Then you put on top of that shield, the shield of faith. A faith that is rooted and grounded, grounded and rooted in knowing Christ. Of being able to look at your past experiences with the Lord and also hold on to the promises that we have been given for the future. And say like, Lord, even if I don't know how this is going to happen, I've seen you act in the past. That causes me to know you'll act in the future. I don't see the way out of of this thing that I'm in right now, this season or this attack from the enemy right now. But I take up my faith to extinguish all the fiery darts that the enemy is throwing, all of the things that the shield would stand in my way, take the hits and the whacks that were meant for me to protect me, for you to be my refuge. And God for us in the Old Testament has talked about, God, that you are our refuge. You are what I hide behind. You take me in and you give me safety. Psalm 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. And my best friend, John Stott, he writes, for faith takes hold of the promises of God in times of doubt and depression. And faith takes hold of the power of God in times of temptation. That faith isn't like, I have it all figured out. And it's also not blind all the time. It's not like, oh, I have no idea. But it's rooted in that God has acted before. I have seen him in my life. He has told me this, he will make a way. Take up your shield of faith and use what you have known, what you have seen to spur you to see and know more things in the fight to come. The helmet of salvation is next. The helmet, exactly what you're thinking, the helmet to guard your head, to go on top of your head, to protect the Roman soldier from hits and blows to what leads you, to what gives you your reason and your your rationale. Often in life what you think is what you are, not through not in everything, but often. And on top of that, he puts on this helmet of salvation. I used to work when I, I talk about my time in Chicago often. And with that, with those two years there, um, everyone is put into a nonprofit ministry that serves the exact neighborhood that you live in. And I had the privilege of working in this really great, like really great homeless ministry. And so I was there night times. I was there during the day. And whenever we would pray with the men, every single time, it was like clockwork, the men would pray, thank you, Lord, for keeping me in my right mind. And I always like, I have repented of this since, but I was always like, oh, what a cop out. Or that's so annoying. Like, oh, they're just saying that to say that me, an unexperienced 22, 23-year-old, my gosh, that I would have anything to say to these men who have experienced way more than I will ever. And that is just so easy for, I have learned, life has taught me that it is so easy for you to actually, like, lose your mind, lose your centeredness, lose your your thoughts, lose your ability to to think for yourself, and to, to have cognitive recognition, and like, for having a well-working brain. is so important to guide us, to lead us, to build new ideas, to spur us to living. And he puts on top of that salvation, it's this hope of salvation and assurance of it. John Stott writes about two things. He talks about future salvation and final salvation. Our future salvation in that, you know what, every obstacle of life that will come my way That I can also with the shield of faith say, you know what, God will get me through this. I know this because I am saved through and through by Him. Through the ups and downs and the battles, I know that my salvation, that even if one day I wake up, I'm somewhere horrible that I never imagined I would ever be in there. That salvation could still be mine. That's liberating. And then also final salvation of that when I like when it comes to be my time to take my last breath to lay my head down and to ask God to take my spirit or for him to just take it that it, when I go into death that he would still be able to pick me up and take me out of that of take me out of nothingness complete nothingness and bring me back into his presence that this helmet of salvation could just go with me everywhere giving me Boldness, and that I know that even if I experience my last enemy, which is death, I'm never far from his reach. That he will know how to pull me out of it. And then the last one, the last piece of equipment is the sword of the spirit. The sword of the spirit is interesting because there was many different types of swords that a Roman soldier could have, and most specifically, he mentions the word for a, for a, for a sword. That was a short sword. Paul here is saying, you know what, when, when we have this weapon here that's face to face, that like makes us get down and dirty, that we can see our enemy, that he's right here, right in front of. It wasn't a little dagger, but it was a short sword. It wasn't a broad sword. It was short to get up close and personal to evil like Christ did. To see our enemy face to face, to know what he's really all about, and to know how powerful the Lord is. And here it says that this, on top of that, is this sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. And I pray that, like, that understanding this will bring new life into Hebrews four twelve, That says that the Bible is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart often the wrestle that is inside of me is like man I like i wrestle with preaching so much i'm like lord i just want to i want to be really good at this i'm not fishing for compliments i like lord i want to get this i want to do this powerfully and when I question my calling or when I question my ability, I, the only thing that truly saves me time and time again is that I believe and I, I just look at this book. I look at the story that God has woven together through centuries and through millennias. I look at all the different types of writings, all the people that contributed to this. I see the life of Jesus, that God himself came into this world. That like Philippians 2 tells us, he put on our life, our skin, that he lowered himself down to us. I see his teachings. I see what he did. Then I see what these like like weird, weird not getting it, people. I see what they did afterwards when they got the Holy Spirit. And then as a whole, how this book has been taken care of over the millennia, how scholars and honest, believing people have cared for this and kept it pure. And like, oh man, like this is alive and this is our sword. And if I put this in my heart, if I let this change who I am fundamentally, then man, that this would just be a weapon that every time i come here i'm like i know this won't return void even if i am the worst preacher in the world if i read god's word honestly and openly if i study this and if i try to be honest and if i live my life open then it will do something because his word never returns void it splits even our soul from our spirit it every time we read this and tell someone who doesn't know about christ even if they say, "Blow us off," or "Don't get it," or "Or tell us to stop," that is doing something. the The sword, which is the only piece of our equipment here, who that is explicitly also offensively and defensive. Up until now, everything has been defensive. You know, in a pinch, anything can be used as a weapon, right? But this is the only one that truly is an offensive weapon here. That this word is what we go and take hearts and conquer thoughts and we bring down evil we, and we confront our enemy man we, we could spend all day talking about this maybe we could even write a 1400 word or page book about this but let's also move on because Paul gives us one last thing for us to talk about the spiritual the God's armor soaked in prayer Let's read verse 18. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints. I love how he just doesn't give us this armors without addressing prayer. John Sott writes this. My best friend. Most Christians pray sometimes. With some prayers and some degree of perseverance, for some of God's people, but to replace some by all in each of these expressions would be to introduce a new dimension of prayer. I love how we're given these pieces of armors. I love how each one of them speaks powerfully to confront us, to live open and honest, for us to live in these these pieces of equipment. But I love how he also talks to us about our responsibility to pray, to soak each one of these in prayer, that prayer is the thing that unifies all of this and that really links us to the Lord. Here he he says four things, fourfold conditions of prayer. He says for us to pray at all times in the spirit, regular, constant, in all that we do when I sit down, when I remove myself, when I be quiet and when I give him words, But then in how I work, how I live, how I walk down the street, if I litter, how I treat people, that I would be praying all the time. The second one was with all prayers and supplications, with all the different forms of prayer, that when I'm angry at him, I would yell at him, get it out, and see what he has to say to me. When I am sad, that I would go to him and ask him to comfort me. That when I'm just confused that I would go to clarity and say, Lord, why, why? I don't understand. Why are you forsaking me? Why are you so far from me? Why aren't you opening your mouth? Why, like, why God, I don't get it. When I am on the highest of highs to give him all the praise and all the glory and say, Lord, you are victorious, Christ. You reign that you are in victory, that you're in heaven right now, that I can see your glory and I see your beauty. Give him all the prayers and all the forms that we can think of. The third one is to stay alert with all perseverance. Stay alert. Like we talked about this in Ephesians, wake up. Wake up, O sleeper. Don't fall asleep. Don't dull yourself with everything else in the world. But no, be in the Spirit and pray to make your soul come alive for you to persevere through everything. And don't take any steps away from Christ. Because walking away from Christ is one step towards death in every step that you take. Persevere through everything, pray when it's hard. Again, when it's hard, it matters the most. And for the fourth and fourth one is for all believers. For God's whole new society, whether you think that they're your brother or not. Anyone confessing the name of Jesus. How challenged was I on January 6th to pray for those who I saw carry Jesus' signs at the insur- insurrection. How challenged should we be when Israel and Palestine fight to acknowledge that there are believers who are both Palestinian and Israeli and God loves them both and they're not their own enemies. Challenges us. And as leader of this church, as pastor, as shepherd of this church, I pray to God to strengthen us up in prayer. Because honestly, to be really honest, I think it's one of the areas that we lack the most as a whole people. That we would come and pray and have experiences of prayer. Prayer is the primary work of the believers of Christ. For us not to just accept this, well, whatever will happen will happen mentality. But no, prayer is what gives our weapons power. It's what tells us, teaches us how to really put them on. It's what really gives us the personal relationship with the Lord. Treating Him like He's real, like actually going to Him for advice or for help or for Him to sustain you. We would be preaching this all the time. I wish we had more time to be in here, but let's tie this in and conclude this a little bit so that we can uh, get to our hangout today. I pray that we as a church become these people who know how to put on every sixth piece of armor, to know how to pray in this life through all the difficulties, pray for all of these things all the time, all perseverance, all, all, all the stuff we just talked about. So that we can live in these pieces of armor. So that they can serve us the way God has intended them to. That Jesus perfectly embodied each and every single one of these and for us to put them on. Remember back in chapter 4, I believe, Paul started to tell us, take off your old life. Take off the way you used to live. I'm going to give you something new to put on, but just take off. You were supposed to walk in a new way. You've been taught a new walk. And now we've been given our new walk to stand up against the enemy and say, no, not in my life, not over my loved ones, not over my church, not over God's people. Like, no, I'm done with that. We will suffer. I know I'm going to suffer. I will praise God in my suffering, but I'm also going to know his victory. I'm going to pray for miracles, and I'm going to see things happen. I'm going to take up my shield of faith and say, you know what? These things used to get me, but they won't get me anymore. And so I want us to end today by reading St. Patrick's Prayer again, to hopefully have a new realization of Christ in us and around us, surrounding us, empowering us, teaching us, showing us how to put on this armor so that we can live lives in his victory. So if if you could bow your head with me, Christ be with me, Christ within me, Christ behind me and before me, Christ beside me, Christ to win me, Christ to comfort and restore. Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ in hearts of all who know me, Christ in mouth of friend and stranger, Christ in quiet and in roar. Love, blessed Trinity of three, bound in unity, who who guides my journey, I will arise with strength of heaven, trusting in your light, to guide my journey, shine before me, lead me home. Power to guide me, might to hold me. Wisdom to teach me, watching over me. Ear to hear me, hand to guard me. Love to conquer every fear. That we would be people who put on his armor and experience this deeper life with Christ that we have been promised. So church, we love you to get, like we said during the vision minute, we are not going to be having um, prompt time today. We do have a few, I will read a few questions, but those are mainly just for you to process on your own during the week, for you to write these down, have them on, they'll be on our YouTube channel with the sermon as well, for you to turn to and examine yourself, put on the armor of God this week like you never have before. All right, so here are our prompt questions for today. Prompt question number one. This is uh, our first interactive one. Go online, go to YouTube, go to wherever you search music, and look for the song Every Victory by, I believe his name is Danny Gokey. Uh, Sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Hear this song, look at the lyrics, be reminded of Christ's victory over the enemy, over every obstacle of life. And react to it. See how you have lived this. How you have experienced this. How you live this out. And how you also need to believe in this more. That's prompt question number one. Prompt question number two. Which piece of the armor seems most natural to you? All of us are going to be wired to know some of these way better than we do others. So which one comes really naturally to you? Which one have you already been taught to rely on? Prompt question number three. Is the opposite. Which piece of armor seems most foreign to you? Which one do you just know you need to get better at at equipping and at living out and living in? All right, church, we love you so much. We're going to be going to our hangout at Liberty State Park with these two other amazing churches. We're going to hang out. We're going to have a good time. If you have nothing to do or if you want to celebrate Memorial Day with us, go there at noon. We're going to be starting there at noon from noon to two o'clock. Join us if you want to. No pressure. Uh, if you're not there yet, then that's totally fine. But we're going to go there and these, meet these amazing people, get to know these other churches, and start this relationship with them. And we love you so much. I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you at our MCs. We, Yeah, just filled with so much love for all of you. We'll be together soon. Beta next week. Love you.